Before we get into the message today, I just want to say thank you, one, to Pastor David for filling in and preaching last week. He did a great job. But then, two, for you, um, thank you for praying for my sister. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, I found out uh, literally two Sundays ago um, that my sister, she was just having back pain. We thought it was just something in her back, but then come to find out it was actually breast cancer that had metastasized to her spine and was really cutting off, um, had surrounded her spine, was cutting off her lower um, half of her body from functioning. So there was emergency surgery to remove that off of her spine and that went well. Uh, and now she is going through the rehab process and then we'll start the um, cancer treatment process. And so I told her, I was talking to her last night that we were praying for her and her name is Mary. She's two years older than me. Um, and that I would be telling you again today to be praying for her. And so I said, you know, there's thousands of people praying for her. So pray for her, for my family, for my father. You know, I lost my mom several years ago and my sister has played such a huge role uh, in his life. And it's just a special relationship between a dad and a daughter. And so obviously it's very tough for him. But I just wanted to catch you up on that so that you could be praying. And that's why I wasn't here last week. And it's one of those things, it's gonna be a long journey and a long road, but we believe God can heal her. And that's what we are asking for. So I'm gonna pray before we jump into the text and pray for her and then pray for our time together. All right, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that um, when trials come our way, like what has happened to my sister and my family, that we can know that none of it caught you by surprise and that even in it and through it, you are working. Um, and God, we know that you can heal because you are God and you have healed. In fact, that's one of the things we've been studying in the book of John, that you healed a blind man. So you can supersede the natural, which is why we call it supernatural, because you are above it. And so God, there are stories of people in our church, even on our own staff, that have gotten good reports and seen you move in miraculous ways with things like cancer. And so God, I pray for my sister and my family that you would heal her um, from this and then give her the grace she needs to continue to walk through it, all of us, together. And then God, I know there's people in our church that are facing similar things and situations and medical and things that they're concerned about. And God, I pray that you would continue to give them grace as well to be able to walk in faith with you. And God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would speak to us. I thank you for your word. It is really a light and it is such a privilege and honor to be able to preach it. And God, I know it makes me feel more alive in doing so. And so, God, I pray that you would meet with us now. You'd fill us with your spirit, open our eyes and our ears to see and hear what you would have for us. We ask you to meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys again for praying and continue. I'll, I'll continue to update you as we go through that. But we are in John chapter 10. If you haven't been here with us, we've just been preaching through the gospel according to John. And Pastor David, like I said, was uh, he filled in great last week, uh, or, you know, kind of really last minute and did a fantastic job. And he was in John 10 talking about how the religious leaders responded to Jesus. And they were trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Is, is he really who he says he is or is he possessed by a demon? And it didn't go so well because, as you saw in the verses that we uh, had on the screen prior to this, 
Jesus makes a comment when he says, me and the Father, or I and the Father are one. And so they understood him to be saying that he is God. And whenever he made that claim, which is what his I am statements or seven I am statements in the gospel, according to John, whenever he makes those statements, the Jewish leaders understand him to be claiming to be God, not just a good man, but to be God. And what we're going to see today, we're actually going to close out chapter 10 today, is their response, and it didn't go so well. All right, so let's jump in. John chapter 10, verse 31, we'll work our way down to verse 42. It says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And that's what I was telling you. Now, the reason why this is an important thing to understand is when we talk about Jesus... Obviously, if you believe in Jesus, you understand who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God, and then he proved it by coming back from the dead. And not only that, but by bringing people back from the dead. In fact, we'll get into that next week in John chapter 11 as we make a beeline for Easter. And I can't believe Easter is already here. And I was just reading yesterday that because of inflation, like there are certain things that just aren't gonna be available and they're super expensive. And I almost like... I had to mourn a little bit for my peeps. And I don't mean my people, I mean the candy, all right? But we're making a beeline for Easter, and, and Easter obviously is the crux of our faith. Our entire faith hinges upon not only Jesus going to the cross, but him coming up from the grave. Because if he didn't come up from the grave, then we wouldn't have known that the payment on the cross was actually enough, that it actually satisfied the payment, that, that it satisfied the, the judgment that was necessary for our sin. So Jesus categorically made himself to be God. And here's why this is so important. Because if you have conversations with people outside of church, and again, this is what I was going to bet, we understand this, but if you have conversations with people who say things like this, oh yeah, Jesus was a good guy. You know, and I say this often, he's the Mr. Rogers guy, right? He's a guy, I mean, he's nice to animals and children. We like people like that. He's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's a good teacher. In fact, other religious faiths will say this about Jesus. Islam says this about Jesus. Uh, a bunch of people say this about Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we like Jesus. He's, he was an Islam, but he was, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a prophet. But when you say he's the son of God, oh, that's blasphemy. And so categorically, what we have to understand is simply this. Jesus is either who he said he was, which was God, or he's a liar. He's not a good person if he's not God. And this is where we have to understand. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it best. He's either liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. There's no in-between. Because who else walks around and says that they're God? Like, would you worship somebody who said they were God and they weren't God? Or let me, let me phrase it. Would you say that somebody who said they were God was a good person? Like, here's your litmus test. Is there any cult leaders lately that you're like, you know what, that's a good guy? Yeah, I'd let him take my kid to school. No. 
which is why I joke around here. We don't ever serve Kool-Aid at events. It's only tea and water. If anybody here offers you Kool-Aid, run. This ain't a cult here, all right? So we don't say cult leaders are good people because they're crazy. And so categorically, what you have to understand is the reason why the Jewish leaders wanted to stone Jesus is because he claimed to be God. So that claim is either true or it's not true. He's either God or he's a cult leader. There's no in-between. And you have to make the decision based upon what you think he's saying here. But this is why I'm pointing this out. You have to understand that the Jewish leaders heard him that he was God. So they pick up stones. Now, if you don't know anything about the faith, stoning was a way of justice. It was kind of like, you know, uh, it's today capital punishment. Because Israel, you have to understand, was a country. It was a nation. And so not only were they people, the people of God, but they were a nation. And there were certain laws in that nation, just like we have laws in our nation. And for certain laws that you broke, you deserved death. And this is one of them. This is one of them. So they pick up stones to kill him. Now, here's a couple things, and this isn't the main crux of the sermon, but I, as I was studying this, if you've been around here, you know I like words, and, and as looking at this word, one fascinating thing jumped out at me. This word here for pick up stones is the exact same Greek word as to bear. It's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 6 Verse two, when he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then this thought entered my mind. You know, I can either pick up rocks to stone people with, or I can either pick up the burdens of relationships around me, but I can't pick up both. And here's what I want you to think about. Again, this is, this is a little aside. Most people today would rather pick up rocks and stone people with them and criticize people with them than to do Galatians chapter six, verse two, and bear one another's burdens. And I thought to myself, Twitter wasn't even invented yet, and Jesus knew what he was talking about. Social media wasn't even invented yet, and Jesus is saying to the people who picked up stones to kill him, He's saying, why are you picking up the stones? What have I done to deserve you to kill me with this? And this is where I, I want to push us a little bit. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the last two years, human beings have become more critical. Have you noticed that? Now, I can't control what the world does. In fact, I really can't control what anybody does. But I'm not called to lead the world, but I am called to lead this church and there's one thing that I want our church to be known for, and it's not for bearing rocks to criticize people with, it's to bear burdens of those we care about. And you know how exhausting it is to carry around a bag of rocks all the time? You know how heavy and exhausting it is to carry around grievances all the time? to pick up offenses all the time where you're on a hair trigger and you're like, not today. Don't you mess with me today. 
And I get it. Things happen. I was just, I was driving to church a few weeks ago here on Highway 20 and Ken where the lane shifts and I was in the left-hand lane, which pro tip, get in the right-hand lane because if you're in the left-hand lane, the other people in the right-hand lane won't shift and they'll hit you. That's what happened to me. This lady hit me and I got out and I was trying to be all nice and I kid you not, this lady, older lady got up and ripped me a new one, was mad, threw her purse on the ground and if y'all been, I don't do well with, I mean, like I get road ragey. And when she hit me, I laid on the horn. I was like, and then I got out and I was like, I got to put on my pastor hat. But it's not just my pastor hat, it's my Christian hat, right? And I'm sitting there having a conversation with this lady and I have to be calm and compassionate and gracious because she didn't understand where she had done wrong. And I kid you not, I got four different phone calls from people that were driving by. If they would have seen me pick up rocks and chunking them at this old, like literally. It's easy, right? To, to be so critical, but it's so exhausting is what I'm trying to show you. And here's the key. Anyone can criticize. It's easy and fast. But when you spend your life creating, it's a lot harder to criticize. Because creating is slow and hard. You know that two-hour movie that we watch? It took two years to create and how quickly we criticize. We criticize so quickly. But here's what I've realized. When you're spending your life creating, you don't have time to criticize. Like I'll, I'll see people occasionally online because I'll get on occasionally. I'm like, how in the world do you have time during your work day? to sit here and respond to all these people. I'm like, where are you people? And what are you doing with your life that you have time to criticize someone's post? Really? Rocks. So here's what I'm saying to you. Church, how about we put down the rocks and we pick up relationships? We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, but we can't pick up the relationships if our heart is full of rocks. And that's how they were. Now look at how Jesus responds. He responds so calmly, so quietly. He asks a question. For which of the good works are you going to stone me? Which, if you want to know how to share your faith, that, that process is called apologetics, how you defend our faith. I want to let you in on something. Almost always, no one is one to Christ through arguments. Like you argue them into it. They're like, you're right, I lost. You won, tell me about Jesus. It's not how it works. But there are winsome ways that we can engage with them. And if you wanna learn how to do it, study Jesus. And here's how Jesus does it. I'll point this out in just a second again. First, he asks them a question. And this is where you gotta understand, categorically. When someone is, is pushing against your faith, they are coming offensively to you. You automatically feel this response, well, I must defend it. But when we defend it, we can get defensive. And here's one of the best strategies we can use. We don't have to just sit there and let them question us. We can also question them. But when we question them, we can do it in calm, winsome ways. And I try to teach my son this, especially as he prepares to go to college. 
Say, son, if someone's asking you about your faith, you know, you can also ask them about theirs. Because you can ask things like this. Well, how do you know what happens after you die? What are you trusting in? But, but we just get so used to having to defend ourselves all the time that we don't ever think about, well, I can ask them a question. I can go on the offense, watch this, but not being offensive. Jesus wasn't offensive. He, offensive, he just asked the question, for which of the good works are you gonna stone me? And then they say, it's not for the good works. It's for the blasphemy because you make yourself out to be God. And then watch how Jesus engages them further. Look at verse 34. So Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. He quotes Psalm 82, verse six. I'm gonna read Psalm 82 in a second. So let's keep going. Verse 35, if he called them God's to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, that's the title of today's message. Do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I'm the son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Listen to the winsome way that he communicates. First, he asked him a question, and then watch this. Here's the second thing that we can learn when it comes to apologetics. Start with presuppositions they already believe. Start with things that they already believe, and then go from there. Watch how Jesus does this. He says, isn't it written in your law? Now, it's his law, right? He wrote it. But it's their law from a religious perspective in the sense that they are the ones who received it. And Jesus knows they already believe it. They already believe the law. And so Jesus goes to a truth that they already believe in and he uses that to make a point. And what he says is this. In Psalm 82 verse six, it says that God called somebody else God's, lowercase g, I'll point it out in a second. And what Jesus is saying is, if I'm saying I'm the son of God in the same way that God called someone else a God, then how can you, how can you stone me for doing what God himself did? That's his argument here. And then he rolls it up and he says, if he called them gods, who the word of God came in, scripture cannot be broken, which means simply this. If it was that way then, it's still that way now. Scripture can't be undone. So if God did it then, and I'm doing it now, same God, same process, then why are you gonna stone me? And the argument that Jesus is simply making is what God said about other people, he's saying about himself. But you need to understand, that doesn't mean that Jesus is just like everyone else. There's a thing called typology, which is simply this. And in fact, I talked about it in our series years and years ago called Shadows, which I'll probably come back and do again because it's fascinating. But every person in the Old Testament was a type or a shadow pointing forward, foreshadowing to who Jesus was. And so every Old Testament figure 
tells you something about who Jesus is. So there's all these types all the way through from Noah to Abraham to Moses to David to the prophets, all these types. And Jesus is picking up on that and he's saying, listen, that's how God did it in the Old Testament. He's still doing it that way now, but you need to understand something that if what God was saying then is true about them, it's more true now about me. Because I'm not just a type. I'm not the shadow. I'm the real thing. I'm the real thing. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, then I'm going to unpack it because it's fascinating to me. Jesus wasn't created. He was consecrated. And in parentheses, what I have there is set apart and sent. Jesus wasn't created. He was consecrated. Now, the word consecrated means to make holy in the sense of like set apart. They're different. And then sent. Have you ever wondered, and a lot of people struggle with this, like in John 3.16, when it says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only what? Son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, when you tell people that Jesus is God's son, naturally they start thinking, oh, well, he's the son, God is the father, then the father had the son. Which, and I don't know how much you get into different religions, but what Jehovah's Witness and Mormons believe, which is why I would say categorically their faith is not Christian, is that there was a time when Jesus didn't exist. Mormons literally believe that God the Father had relationships with a female version of God and then had Jesus as a son. So they had celestial relationships and then they birthed Jesus, which is why when they get to heaven, they're gonna have their own God babies and rule over their own planets. I kid you not, that's what they believe. Which is why when they come by your house, you should be prepared to have a conversation with them. They came by my house years ago and they were like, oh, we know who you are. You're that pastor who talks about us a lot. I kid you not, that's what they told me. They already knew it. They're fascinating people, but not believers in the historical Jesus. Why? Because they believe that he was created. Now, have you ever wrestled with that concept? How can he be the son? Here's what you need to understand. Again, big theological lesson in two minutes. Maybe. Jesus wasn't created in the sonship way that my children were created. When the Bible talks about Jesus as God's son, what it means is simply this. He wasn't consecrated. He wasn't created. He was consecrated. He was set apart. He's always been set apart. Here's what this simply means. Jesus is unique. He's unique. And when it says begotten, it doesn't mean that God begot him. God had him in eternity past. What it means is for all eternity, that's what he's been. He has been the set apart one. He has been the sent one. And this is where you read verses in the Bible that just blow my mind when it says from before the foundation of the earth, Jesus had been slain. So before God ever created the earth, in an eternal sense, Jesus had already been slain. 
Now, he hadn't been yet temporarily in, or temporally in time, but in God's mind, it was already done. Why? Because he had already set apart and sent him. And you read this, and it's fascinating because the future is not something God knows about. It's somewhere he is because he lives outside of time and space. And so when Jesus quotes Psalm 82, verse 6, all he's getting at here is listen. God said of other people in the past, sons, I am the real son. I'm the real consecrated one. Let's look at Psalm verse 82. Let me read this to you and I'll explain more what I mean. Verse one, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the, what's that next word there? God's, let's try that again. I like for you to call and respond, both locations. Come on with me, Jasper, all right? In the midst of the what? God's, notice it's lowercase g. The Lord, or the, in the midst of the God, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. God is mad that these gods haven't done this. Verse four and five, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundation of the earth are shaken. Let me explain to you again quickly what's going on here or what I think is going on here. There's several different interpretations of what does this phrase, you are gods, mean? What is this divine counsel? And one of the theories, and this is the one where I currently stand in, is when he's using this word God in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word Elohim, which is a Hebrew word to describe supernatural beings. And here's what's fascinating. And before you pick up stones to stone me because you think I'm about to be heretical, listen to me. And I've talked about this before. If you've been around, this isn't new to you. But God is not the only God. He's not the only God, but he is the only most high God. And here's where this gets super fascinating. When I say he's not the only God, I'm not talking like in a Greek sense where these, all these gods and they fought each other. No. God created these gods. God created these, all you need to hear me say is supernatural beings, Think about it like this, although it's not the same, but you can imagine it. There are angels, correct? There are demons, correct? And demons used to be angels, correct? Yes. So those are simply supernatural beings that exist. But in the Bible, those beings are not called Elohims. There's another category of supernatural beings that God also created, these lowercase g gods, other Elohim, and it was his first supernatural family. So before he created humans, he created these supernatural beings. And here's what he did. He gave these supernatural beings authority on earth to be his ambassadors. But they fell. Again, I just told you demons fell, right? Same kind of idea. They fell and they weren't judging justly like God had charged them to do. So now these supernatural beings have been judged. And look at what happens, verse six. Here's the, the verse that Jesus quoted. I said, you are gods. 
sons of the Most High. There's the difference. You are gods, you're Elohim, you're supernatural beings, but you're sons of the Most High. All of you. Nevertheless, listen to this, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So even though these supernatural beings had supernatural power, they didn't judge correctly, and so now they will be judged. There's some weird verses in Daniel, if you've ever read the prophet Daniel. People who get really into end time stuff love Daniel. And there's some weird verses when Daniel was praying, an angel comes to him and he says, I was delayed in getting to you 21 days, which is why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, by the way, because he was fasting those 21 days, he was praying. And the angel says, I was delayed in coming to you because I was fighting the prince of Persia. And it wasn't going so well. And so Michael, the archangel, had to come and, and put a licking on him. That's my version, by the way. And then I got to you. Now, what's fascinating is at that time, Persia was the power of the land. It was Babylon, modern-day Iran. If you ever study the Persian Empire, Iran is the modern-day equivalent to the Persian Empire, and people from there are Persian. And so Persian Empire was in charge at that point in time. And here's all you need to know. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Behind every power on earth is a supernatural power. And then the angel tells Daniel this really weird thing. When I leave here, I gotta go fight the prince of Greece. Anybody wanna guess what the world power came after Persia? I just told you. Greece, go look it up in history. I'm not making it up. So here's what we're saying. Every power that comes on earth, every leader that comes on earth, there is a supernatural power behind that leader. And that supernatural power can be the most high God or one of the other gods. Which is why Paul says, this is fascinating stuff, isn't it? Which is why Paul says in Ephesians, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against powers and prince, prince, Apalities and the supernatural. So we look at leaders like Putin on the world stage today and we're like, what is wrong with that person? What's wrong with that person is there's an evil supernatural power behind him. And what we need to understand is that there are other supernatural beings in the world. This is what makes Christian ghost stories so scary because they're real. But what is Jesus getting at here? Why does Jesus quote Psalm 82 verse six? He's saying, listen, all those other gods were little G gods. All those other gods, they were consecrated and sent too, but they're evil. But now God has sent the most high son of God. Not these other sons of God. He sent the most high son of God, who is God himself. And I have come to take back all the nations. I have come to overthrow all the supernatural powers that exist in the world today. Why do you think Jesus told us the Great Commission? John, uh, Matthew 28, go make disciples of all 
nations because he wants them back because they're all being oppressed by evil powers. And here's all Jesus is saying to these people. God had other lowercase g sons of God. So when I say I'm the son of God, why are you gonna stone me? Because I am the one that the father consecrated and sent. So listen to me, church. Every other power, every other leader, every other person is not like Jesus. How do you know? Look at how Jesus argued. What did he say? The works. My works show that I'm God. My works show. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, let your light shine before men. And what he says this is, by doing good works so that they may glorify the Father in heaven. So the Son of God was sent into the world to do supernatural good works to show, oh, this is the high Son of God. This is the real Son of God. This is the most high Son of God. And those works point to who he is. So why Jesus? We'll get into this next week in John chapter 11 because Jesus is the only one who did those kind of things. He raised people from the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He let the captives free everything that the Old Testament said he would do. And every other person who's ever come before Jesus, they did some good works. Remember earlier I said typology? Noah did some good works. He built an ark, and it's awesome. I don't know if you know this, but it landed in Kentucky. You can go see it. It's crazy. It's been hanging out there since the flood. It's fascinating. I went and saw it a, a couple weeks ago. It's amazing. You should take your children. Noah did some good works, some fascinating works, but not all the works that Noah did was good because after the fall, you want to know what he did? He got drunk and he was found naked in his tent by his family. Yeah, that's gross. So he was a drunkard. So he did some good works, but not all of his works were good. Abraham, Abraham did a good work. He was gonna sacrifice his son, Isaac. He believed God. But you know, before he did that, he got another woman pregnant who wasn't his wife. That's kind of a problem. Typically, I don't know if you've experienced that in your life, but number doesn't work out well. You can go on up. David was a great king. Also took another man's wife and then killed the husband. I mean, you go all the way through the Old Testament. All these leaders did some good works, but they also did some bad works. What makes Jesus unique is he only always forever did good works. That's why he is the real Elohim. That's why he is the real son of God. And all Jesus is arguing to them is, listen, he sent others into the world. The word of God came to them and, and God called them gods. And then he sends me and I am God. And I'm trying to show you something. What? Scripture cannot be broken. Here's the fascinating thing about scripture. Your Bible is not a bunch of different stories put together only. It is a bunch of different stories put together over about 1,400 years by several different authors. 
But do you understand that your Bible is one big story? It is one, watch this, unbroken story. And all the stories lead to the pinnacle of the revelation of the Son of God. That's what Hebrews tells us. In the former days, he spoke to us by prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And then in chapter two, verse four of Hebrews, it says, and God testified that this is his son's how. This is his son, singular. How? Through signs, wonders, and miracles. Works. How do you know Jesus? Look at the works. So here's the fascinating thing I'm trying to show you, which is why I've spent so much time in the Old Testament to show you it's unbroken. So let me give you this point. You might wanna write it down. Scripture cannot be broken. You can only break yourself against it. Scripture can't be broken. Listen to me, church. I've told you this often. Every supernatural attack, I just told you there's supernatural powers behind all authorities and there are supernatural powers today behind authorities that are attacking the word of God. I'm glad, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last couple years, people have started to take notice of like what's being taught to children and kids and that kind of stuff, and people are getting upset. Even in our own Cherokee County, there was an event this week that made it onto national Fox News. I don't know if you know that. And I'm not getting into that controversy. I'm just saying we have to be aware that there are attacks against God's word. And people will always try to tell you, well, that's not what it means. And here's what I want you to hear me say. Scripture can't break. The Bible says grass will fade Flowers will fail, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So you better learn the word of God, what it says, because it will not be broken. Literally, the word broken means unbound, to do away with, to set aside, or proven false. It can't be broken. I don't care who tries. You can only break yourself against it. What do I mean by that? And we're almost done. What I mean by that is if you try to live your life contrary to the ways of God that are laid out in the words of God, you'll break yourself. You'll break yourself. And here's the problem with most of us. Most of us haven't lived long enough to break us. But there's some of us in here, you've been broken, haven't you? You've been broken by the word of God because life happens and it breaks you. I opened up this message sharing with you things about my own family. Cancer breaks you. Sin breaks you. And until God is all you have, he will not become all that you know you need. 
And if you still think you can live your life contrary to the word of God, what I'm saying is this, God loves you enough to let it break you. He will let the word of God break you. Listen, because the only thing worse than being broken in this life is being broken for all eternity in the next. So if you're not broken now, you'll be broken then. But look at what happens. Last couple verses, and I'm gonna wrap this up. It says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Why? Because it wasn't his time. Scripture said it wasn't his time. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Here's what's fascinating. Next week, we'll get into this in John chapter 11 when he raises Lazarus. That's what we're going to talk about in Easter, but that happens in Bethany by Jerusalem, where there's another, Beth, another Bethany beyond the Jordan, John chapter 1, verse 28. You can go back and listen to that. I talked about it in week two and week five of this series. What's fascinating, he goes to the other side of the Jordan to a town called Bethany, and there, where John was baptizing, where Jesus himself was baptizing, he hangs there for a while, and then he goes back in John chapter 11 to the other Bethany to do the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. But look at what happens on this side. Verse 41, and many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. John did no miracles. Watch this. But everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Listen to me, church. Everything that was said about Jesus was true. Everything John said, what did John say? Let me just read you. I don't have it on the screen, but John chapter one, verse 29 and 30 says this. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. How can a man rank before another man? How can one man who was born six months after a man come before him? Because that man that was born six months after John was already existing. He was God. Before he was man, he was God. And John understood this. He ranks before me. Behold him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I could say it like this, the Lamb of God who takes away the brokenness of the world. Church, I want you to hear me. The reason why I preach Jesus so passionately is because my life broke against it. I was broken because I saw the scripture Scripture is like Romans when it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none that are righteous. I was broken by that, that I'm a sinner. But the good news of the gospel is not just that you're broken. The good news of the gospel is that he was broken for you. Because Isaiah 53, 5 says the punishment that we deserved by his wounds, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that through him, you might become the righteousness of God. 
Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in the ways in which you walked, but God made you alive in Christ. My friends, you'll either break your life against it or you'll finally surrender to him when you see that his life was broken for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. That from eternity past, Jesus was the set apart and sent one. And you sent all the other sons before him to show us that none of them are him. Jesus is the most high God. And we know that because of the works that he did. And the works that he did wasn't just giving sight and raising a dead man. It was raising himself from the dead. It was giving his life as a ransom for many. And so God, I pray right now for anybody in this room or watching or in Jasper that has never trusted in Jesus. They have never seen the truth of communion. When Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. God, I pray that you would save them now. That they've seen now that they are broken and they need you to heal them by Jesus' wounds. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted in Jesus, then today, all you have to do is admit that you're broken. Admit and confess and believe that he was broken for you. So if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for sending your son to save me from sin. I confess I'm broken. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Save me, heal me. I believe Jesus is God and he rose from the dead. And it's in his name I ask this. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you just trusted Jesus, we wanna know that and celebrate with you. So would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see it? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. But if that was you, today, you've been healed because you believed in him and that he was broken for you. But if you're like me where you've already done that, but you're still experiencing the consequences in this life of brokenness, things like cancer, things like divorce, things like job loss, things like depression, things that aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And you're struggling with believing in God. 
I want you to understand that our entire hope is based upon not just the fact that Jesus died, but that he rose again. And so one day we will rise with him and God will make everything right that is wrong. He will restore everything that was broken. And that's our hope. And so even though it is bleak, you have hope in knowing that this is not the end. So keep walking with Jesus. Keep believing his word. Keep building your life on the foundation of the fact that scripture cannot be broken. And God will build you because your life is built on the rock. Or maybe you're one of those people that you have been so critical of other people. But one of the reasons why you're so critical is because you've forgotten that you were broken. You know, it's real hard to look down on somebody when you put yourself lower than them. And one of the biggest problems for Christians today is we keep judging everybody else because we forgot that we too were judged. And so when you put yourself lower, then you can bear one another's burdens because you realize that God loved you. He broke himself for you. And so therefore you can willingly bear other people's burdens. Father, I pray that you would accomplish this. We thank you for your word. We know that it is unbroken. It will never be broken. And so God, build our life upon it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.